0: Okay, and welcome back to episode 21 of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. So today um, I have a very special guest, as always, um, and today our guest expert is Dr. Maya who um who is a senior lecturer, uh, researcher, and very much a performance uh, nutritionist, so a real-life practitioner and researcher. Um, at Sheffield Hallam University in their Academy of uh, Sport and Physical Activities, Did I get that right? That's correct. Brilliant. So, welcome, mate. Um, You know, you and I know each other, so uh, this is cool. I've heard you lecture and speak, and congratulations on uh, your um, recent uh, achievement of a doctorate. It's um, always inspiring, Um, and uh, I'm looking forward to picking your brain on a topic that actually I heard you uh, do a lecture for us on the um, ISSN Diploma Program that that I lead. And this is a topic that I think um, is going to blow some people's minds. I think it's a topic which really deserves far more uh, focus. And um, well, without further ado, let's get into this idea of the placebo effect uh, and particularly as it relates to sport. and we'll we'll try and sort of edge this into performance nutrition where possible because obviously that's the focus here so maya i mean let uh, this is going to be a big one potentially so let's i mean firstly what is a placebo anyway so let's just just in case people are not sure what we're talking about what is a placebo
1: okay well first of all I- I think it's important that we say this is a fascinating paradox, and like you said earlier, you know, it's uh, overlooked, you know, considering, you know, we're all sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, we're all trying to get the best out of our clients, enhance performance, and, you know, it's a fascinating area, and and a placebo really is, uh, it goes back, you know, a very long time, we talk about placebos, and, you know, Typically in medical research, when you're looking at a particular treatment, you have to test it against a placebo which is uh, essentially a sugar pill or a treatment that doesn't actually um, have any active uh, effect uh, because you need to test it against something that people necessarily um, believe in. So say for example, if I'm testing the effects of uh, a particular product and I don't give the product to one group but I give it to the second group, then just by giving the product may have a positive ergogenic effect. So it's really important that we do use this placebo. But since over the hundreds of years that the research has been going on, we seem to understand that the placebo uh, is actually quite fascinating, that if you believe in something, even though there's no active scientific reason for it to be effective, it seems to have an ergogenic benefit. Um, I think what 's also important to know is that there's also no sibos, so your no sibo is where it can actually have a detrimental effect, even though you 're not giving them anything that 's active if the belief is negative, then it'll probably do harm um rather than good, but we can talk about that in more detail as we as we move on
0: yeah no, yeah oh i can 't wait to get into this i mean this this is something that as a practitioner i I get into quite a bit um in terms of I'm exposed to this possibility because I'm frequently finding clients, and this this could be athletes, this could be people in a team setting, or very much in a one-to-one sort of private client scenario. Ah, oh, but you know, I I started uh, taking this pill and I felt better. Or um you know i uh uh, uh or, or probably a little bit more worrying is in a team setting for example uh, look i know such and such is taking this pill they're the best player in the team uh, therefore i feel that i should be taking this pill then the nutritionist is like no you shouldn't take that that's a bunch of rubbish and of course there's a certain impact that that can have um on that individual without even knowing whether or not it really does work or not and like you said there's this this belief that can be such a powerful uh, factor so the, the I mean the power of placebo itself I mean do you want to give us some examples of of the power of placebo as maybe compared to you know some research or, or whatever
1: yeah I mean what, what's important here is I think just just before I get into that what what's important is like you said earlier when I started out as a practitioner I was very much um, you know my, my education and background had always taught me to be evidence-based and you've got to be evidence-based practitioner and everything's got to have some sort of scientific reasoning which is obviously very important even now but it's that notion of um if an athlete believes that they're taking something that's not particularly harmful but the evidence might be particularly poor and as a practitioner you'll go well the evidence is really poor you should stop taking it then i think now From what I know about the power of the placebo, you have to be really careful with how you interact with athletes, because the belief effect can be quite powerful, which we'll we'll get into. Um, And to answer your question, you know, the the power of the placebo is very much around, um, you know, let's talk about this example of pills. So we know that if you take a pill, it's probably going to be more effective than not taking a pill. Two pills are more effective than one pill. Four pills are more effective than um, two. Capsules are better than pills. And a lot of this comes from the medical research. And injections trump capsules and pills, and they're they're the best. If you see the injection being given, it's more effective than not seeing the injection being given, and so on. So there's a lot of this research that's out there in as I said in my, my lecture that I delivered um, for the ISSN course, that Ben Goldacre has written a, a really nice chapter on on the placebo effect in his book called Bad Science. And there's a chapter in there on the placebo. And he summarizes, you know, kind of the, what the placebo is and um, how it came about and, and, you know, why it's so important that, that we use placebo-based research um, in, in science. Um, and then if we get into it, You know, we've talked about the quantity of pills and the types of pills and injections, but then we know that color is also important. So um, if you look at stimulants, they tend to be either yellow, orange, or red. And if we have a look at antidepressants and tranquilizers, they tend to be blue, green, or purple. So there's obviously that perception, but it doesn't stop there. It's also on packaging. So we know that the more elaborate the packaging, the more expensive the packaging looks, the the greater the effect it has Uh, and there's been some really exciting studies being done on things like coca-cola and wine Uh, and I remember recently reading uh, a study around uh, comparing pepsi and coca-cola and uh, around kind of the perception of taste and how how it's been packaged and actually when you deceive people on on the packaging and, and what you're actually giving them then they're not really going to be able to tell. And similarly around wine, if you price tag an expensive wine and say twenty five pounds when it actually only costs say six pounds, then you know there's some data that shows that people feel that it tastes nicer and it's it probably you know the expensive wine has a uh, a, a better palate, uh, you know. So it's, we're not just talking about sports nutrition here; we're talking about a whole host of different things where the where the you know the power of the placebo has been been investigated.
0: Yeah, no, I, uh, yeah. I, It is everywhere. And of course, you've only got to turn on the TV, pick up a magazine, and you're seeing evidence of this everywhere, aren't you? And I mean, to bring it back to, to sports nutrition, though, it is most definitely taken advantage of by sports nutrition supplement companies. And I mean, I guess that goes all the way down to even using images of, of fit people with, you know, big biceps and six packs, um, and correlating that with a particular product. And therefore you have the belief that that product is going to give you bigger biceps and a six pack. And, and whilst physiologically or pharmacologically, that product may not do that from a, from a sort of a placebo effect point of view, it may actually help you do that. Um, but of course, these are all things that are are heavily involved in the marketing of of products, and us as practitioners, of course, have to deal with that. Um, and I remember you saying, and I and I and also I remember Graham Close also mentioning something along the, the lines of uh, of this too. And actually, Joey Antonio, uh, you may also be in a situation where the product that you're taking may not do anything for you, um, but obviously, and therefore, it's harmless and so on. But not taking that product and the belief that you have that that can be detrimental to you may also be a problem, like with protein powders and various ergogenic aids. And and obviously we referred to that earlier. And of course, that can be a huge problem too. So for those of us that, you know, we get into this evidence-based bandwagon, um, I think what is often forget is this placebo effect. And one needs to be mindful of the fact that, yeah, there may not be evidence that something works as as it were from a laboratory study, from a tightly controlled so on. But what, of course, they haven't factored in is, is the marketing effects, the you know, the placebo and, and so on. Isn't that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, uh, you know, one of the the studies in, in sport nutrition was the one done by uh, Clark Hopkins and Hawley, um in 2000 uh, when they looked at the placebo effect of carbohydrate they designed a very clever study where participants were either given water or they were given carbohydrate Uh, and then one group was actually told they were given carbohydrate the other group was told they were given placebo and the other group was not told so they looked at every single combination possible And what was interesting from the findings is that when participants took uh, water but they were told it was carbohydrate, their 40-kilometer time trial was quicker. So in effect, even when you're not giving them anything but because they believe carbohydrate is ergogenic and you're telling them you're giving them carbohydrate, in actual fact you're just giving them just water, um, so like a cordial which tastes sweet but actually doesn't contain any carbohydrate whatsoever you're improving performance. So manipulating the belief that the active ingredient is ergogenic enhances performance. So in the same way, if you take that away, it can you know, it can um, have, a, uh, have the opposite effect. But I think you just got to be really careful about wh- what it is. And the example I always use is this example of um, take glucosamine, for example. You know, we know glucosamine is available in any supermarket. Glucosamine is available in various formats. So you've got the gl- glucosamine sulfate, glucosamine chondroitin, and so on. And when we have a look at the 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 evidence and the research, you know, you go into things like Cochrane and Cochrane systematic reviews, meta-analyses. They've looked at glucosamine, the single trials on glucosamine, there's trials on glucosamine in sport. And there are very mixed findings on whether it, it it relieves pain and whether it improves muscle function and so on. Um, But if it's not doing any harm and, you know, the client, the patient, the athlete genuinely believes it's reducing the pain on their knees, for example, and you kind of go, well, I'm not sure, you know, I'm not sure what the data suggests, and then you may be taking that away from them. But likewise, if it's not doing any harm and um, they genuinely believe that it's having a positive effect, then I don't think you can take that away because you might be taking something away that nothing else might benefit, or vice versa. The treatment, the physio, the rehab exercises, along with a particular, um, I don't know, supplementation strategy that the athlete truly believes in, might have an additive effect on their rehabilitation, their perception of soreness, and their recovery. So I think it's a really important concept, definitely.
0: Yeah, so do I. And, I, you know, as I said, I think sometimes as as practitioners or expert practitioners, yes, we need to be extremely careful and, and dedicated to taking an evidence-based approach. But we also need to be mindful that we're working with human beings and not rats in a cage. And there's, there's just so much more to this. and And the fact that, you know yes we want to avoid giving these people things that are detrimental to their health um sometimes though those things whilst they don't work may may have a benefit in terms of of this placebo effect that you point out and and i and i think that it's just not given enough attention which is the whole point of this this podcast of course
1: just on that as well though um Lauren, i think the other thing we need to consider as well is you can look at the, op- the other end of the scale here. So say, for example, there is something that we know works and there's an abundance of evidence suggesting that it's effective, so carbohydrate, and caffeine, and there's loads of other things that are out there. Then if you look at it from a different perspective in that we know that if you take sodium bicarbonate, caffeine, creatine, carbohydrate, you're going to improve your performance by anything from 1% to 3 or 4%. Now, if you take those findings as scientists, because we know that there's e- lots of evidence for it, let's spend time convincing our athletes that that's the case. Because we know that there's this expectation, so if, if a person believes it works, it actually has this additive effect. So use evidence-based practice, but dress it up in a way that the athlete really buys into it, that it's really effective, and don't just say, oh, take some caffeine, it's been shown to be effective. It's, let's have a chat about caffeine, you know, three milligrams per kilogram, for example, has been shown to be really ergogenic. Well, you know, these forms of caffeine have been shown to be even more effective, and if you take them in this way, they're even better. So, Let's go down that avenue, and I think you're going to get a much greater buy-in, and you're going to get a much greater additive effect of the actual belief that it works. But then we also know physiologically it works. So yep. you get this double bang for your buck, if that makes sense.
0: No, it does. So I, and I think that's a powerful point. And to use a phrase, some phraseology from the more commercial sort of bodybuilding sort of thing, you know, let's learn how to stack the evidence-based effect of certain products that we know there's some solid science behind with the belief the placebo effect because that the the, you know stack that stack is going to be superior and whether we're talking about elite performance and of course even just fractions of of anything that that will have a positive effect can be the difference between winning and losing you know medals no medals that sort of thing so So why not use that in your armory, your toolbox? Um, But also that power of belief also helps with other factors like compliance, which, of course, you know, for us as practitioners, we know that that it doesn't matter how good that product is. And, of course, the medical people know this better than most people. You know, like antibiotics work, but they only work... um, if they're taken over a period of time on a cumulative sort of chronic basis, you know, hence on the label, complete the course. It's the same thing with um, many of our nutritional sort of magic bullets that we're, that we're using. There is a pharmacokinetics behind these things. It takes a while for them to build up in the system. There's a dose and so on. So, of course, the pill culture is, you know, you take, you take your headache pill, your headache goes away. And, of course, that doesn't necessarily work in many of our you know supplements with the except of maybe caffeine and there could be one or two other things that escape my mind but but as practitioners we're we're all about things like learning how to communicate with our clients we need to transfer our own belief and enthusiasm to those people because the additive benefit of that is compliance and and for me compliance which you could also loosely attach to the word consistency is of course from my understanding and certainly my observation in my own practice probably the biggest thing of all that brings about results and we know that because it doesn't really matter what kind of diet you're going to follow really the evidence shows that just being consistent with that um is is a big factor and of course I'm sure we could tie in placebo um you know I mean I don't know if you're aware of any studies that have been done on that, but you know when you think about paleo or low carb, um, it, it may it, you know it's not necessarily about that. It, it's the consistency that comes with the person's ability to believe in the fact that it works. Therefore, they stick with it, um, and of course, therein lies half the benefits.
1: Yeah, I think what's important there, and I think this is a really nice take-home message, which is. Um, the belief effect is that powerful that you have to as a practitioner as a scientist you know if you believe in that intervention then spend some time on um, you know making the intervention into something that looks really um, you know exciting to to follow or exciting to 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 use so that the the client base that you're working with goes well you know the experts are really you know banging on about this and the, the you know, talking about, obviously, I'm talking about something that's evidence based here. And you dress it up in a nice way. And oftentimes we just say, oh, yeah, the evidence shows that it's, 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 it's great. So you should go and do it rather than sitting them down saying, well, yeah, let's have a look at it in a bit more detail. And if you take it in this way, it's even more effective. And compliance is much better if you do it in this particular way. And all of a sudden, it's like you said, it, you're going to get that compliance, you're going to get the adherence, and you're going to get the additive value of, of the belief. So you're gonna get the actual benefit of the intervention and you're gonna get the benefit from the belief of that intervention. So you get you get this this increase in, in performance really, which is what I'm really interested in.
0: Yeah, no, I well, you know, at the end of the day it boils down to outcomes, doesn't it? We're either looking at simply helping our clients achieve changes in body composition all the way up to winning Olympic medals and and you know we're not robots. We don't just program in a, a protocol. We 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 need to have a belief in what we're doing. And 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 of course, if if that translates into this additive benefit, then I mean you know I think ironically, and of course you mentioned to this mentioned this uh, before, the the additive effect may be greater than the actual physiological effect.
1: Possibly, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, if, if, there, there's studies that have shown that, you know. So, um, and I, but I think that can only be effective if you interact with the the participant um, in in the right way. So, in a lot of the placebo studies that we look at, so Christopher Beedie's, you know, he's done a lot of research on the placebo effect, the carbohydrate, caffeine, a whole host of other different placebo effects, and. In most of his studies, they actually spend a bit of time with the participants um, talking to them about the product. So they'll give them an hour and a half uh, presentation on on the product and how effective it is. And they'll they'll spend some, they'll give them some reading, they'll give them some leaflets. They'll spend a lot of time trying to convince the participants that the intervention is really successful. And then when you then split them up into the different groups, that's when you get that kind of placebo effect where even though you're giving them a placebo you get this increase in in performance and even when you tell them that you're getting the active ingredient but you're not giving them anything you still get this increase in in performance which is which is what this belief effect is all about and and I think it's um you know I think we've got to be really careful because you, you I'm not saying you should go around tricking your patients and your clients and your your athletes but you know let, let's be a bit more astute with how we package our interventions because if it looks exciting and it is exciting you spend a bit of time talking to them about it on how exciting it is then chances are you know you're going to get exactly what we've just been talking about which is that you know additive effect
0: yeah no absolutely and let, let's sort of swing it the other way too because you mentioned this nocebo word uh which uh, you know that's not something you hear very often and of course we're talking about the potential positive impact of a placebo and I think we made it quite clear particularly the additive benefit for me that that's what's exciting about the placebo impact is that we can all learn to harness the power um of the placebo effect which I'm going to come back to in a second um but let, let's just let's just quickly Describe a bit more this nocebo sort of idea. So can you just remind us again what a nocebo is and and maybe some examples that maybe even you've seen in your own
1: practice? Okay, so a a nocebo, um, the nocebo effect is when a negative outcome results from the belief that there's a harmful treatment being received when actually there's nothing that's harmful about the treatment. And a classic example of that is in in medicine when you give um one of the the control groups uh, one of the sorry, the placebo the placebo groups uh, a particular drug they 'll report that symptoms are worse so they're getting unpleasant side effects when in actual fact they 're not getting anything and that 's this nocebo notion where even though you're giving them a sugar pill they're reporting that they're getting these negative side effects and they can range anything from things like nausea. Uh, some have reported things like impotence and all sorts of negative side effects. And that's this perception of, oh, it's making me feel ill, it's making me feel sick, when in actual fact, you've just given them a sugar pill It's just a placebo, uh, 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 a nocebo, essentially.
0: Yeah. So so we need to be aware that there's a nocebo effect. There's a, there's a potential... Um, or very real possibility of a placebo effect, which we know that we can actually use as a therapeutic strategy all in itself. Um, so, so from that, and as I'd mentioned earlier, that also includes not necessarily discounting products that you know are potentially not particularly useful but then again they're not harmful but there may be a placebo effect and of course that that's why like like in the uh sort of commercial sector you see as i use the word stack you know you see multiple ingredients stacked into a product and of course some people just have this belief that that product's going to be better than another whereas of course we look at the the label and we're like yeah well you know that's really not going to do much but it you know it it has that belief and they're more likely to take that that pill or uh, or potion but you know there, there's got to be sort of a balance somewhere in in this and uh, there comes a point where there's there's too many pills or potions or too many placebos too many nocebos all sort of mixed in i mean let's just bring this back to um uh, another word i like uh, not only context but also a pragmatic point of view because I know some listeners will take this and go, right, okay, I'm going to start getting into the placebo thing, which I encourage. Um, but let, let's sort of look at how we can assess it within a practice level, whether it's a sports nutritionist working with teams or athletes or individuals at a gym or, or whatever. Um, I mean, how, how do you think we should approach the use of, of, of placebos?
1: Okay, I, th- I think that is a really, really interesting question and this is where you've got to be really careful. I I think that, first and foremost, we are taught evidence-based practice and we are encouraged to be evidence-based, and we can't just go around prescribing treatments that uh, could be potentially harmful or uh, there's no evidence for them. So, first and foremost, I think most of what you should do is be evidence-based, critically evaluate the literature, you know, do the relevant training that you need to do that can give you the the career that you want to go into, and then take those interventions that we know are effective and package them up in a way that can have an additive effect like we talked about earlier. So that's first and foremost, is that use your authority, you're the expert, and you know sometimes you get these really enthusiastic gurus and you get these leading experts and they're really enthusiastic about it and I've actually seen practitioners talk to athletes about certain products that are effective and they're really enthusiastic and they dress them up and the way you take them and how you take them and it can have that additive effect. If we have a look at another example where there's something that can be harmful or there's something that you know could potentially be costing a lot of money but has absolutely no effect, I think there's an ethical duty there of you've got to protect the athlete, the patient, the client, because they might be wasting a phenomenal amount of money. We know that this guy's out there, we know that there's companies out there, we know the marketing out there, that they just want to make as much money as possible, they don't really care about whether the product is effective, so you've got to be careful, you know, you've always got to protect the athlete, the client, the ethics is important. But if they're taking something like I mentioned glucosamine earlier, it's actually quite harmless you know, if it's a batch testing product, if it's an elite athlete who's subjected to drug testing, you know it's clean, you know the evidence might not be that great, but they feel a genuine benefit from it, then don't take that away because you might be taking away some of the, the positive effects. But if it is doing any harm and it is potentially got any banned substances in it or whatever, then I think you've got a duty to then, you know, try and explain to the athlete that it's potentially quite harmful. Um, so... I think if you look at it, on the one hand, it can help you, but on another hand, you also have a duty to protect the client group, the athlete, the patient, and so on. So um, you just have to be really clever with, with how you with how you use it.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything you said, and I, I think yes, you know, first and foremost, do no harm. Definitely, uh, definitely want to consider the health outcomes of your clients, um, and if that product is detrimental potentially to their health um then obviously it's a no-no but if it's harmless and in some way it will help with the goals or outcomes that that client's trying to achieve then you need to balance it out and go well hang on there could be there are some rather creative benefits to this and you do need to talk to your clients i do i find a lot of practitioners can be very guilty of being uh, very authoritarian um, about how they approach some of this stuff, and they can hold their nose very high and go, "Oh well, it's a lot of rubbish. There's no evidence towards that." And they may be right, but that client believes in it, and the impact that taking that product away could be, you know, the the, the damage to their performance or their their belief in their in their in their program that they're currently doing, which may also influence you know, how long they're going to stay with you as a practitioner. And if you, particularly if you haven't built up that relationship, because, you know, you and I know, because we've worked with clients for a long time, that relationship is extremely important. And maybe you need to think, okay, look, I know in my long-term plan here, I'm, I'm probably going to get them off this product. But right now, they know the product better than they know me. They probably know the person that they, you know, whoever recommended it, whether that's a mate another practitioner or whatever they may have a better relationship with them and yes you may be more qualified and so on but that power of belief has many angles to it that one has to be very careful and there are strings attached to that whether it's emotional strings or intellectual strings and and I liked the way you you know you mentioned you you know it's yes it's a fascinating paradox but we also need to manage this carefully with a very specialist pair of gloves. We need we we need to think about you know how you package the intervention, as you said, is extremely important. Um particularly what you say and how you say it. I mean, you you've got to admit, communication, which in itself can affect the placebo effect, is a is a skill set often missing in a lot of a lot of sports nutritional sports scientists. Uh, we're not really you know, there's very few educational programs for people in the exercise sciences or sports nutrition sciences that get any real training in how to actually work with human beings and you know sort of care and communication and and coaching skills and and you know that sort of thing and of course this is one of those things so one has to be careful about one's bedside manner and you know the transference of information is 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 something that you may need to break down over several appointments or whatever so I, I think that's that's important, and also you need to consider the, uh, you know, the intervention from the point of view of what you're trying to achieve at the end of everything. You know, um, so from your, I mean, let, I don't know. I think we've got a bit of time here, so let, I mean, how, how if we think about packaging the intervention first? Have you, have you got any thoughts from how one might approach that?
1: Yeah, very much. I mean, one of the examples I, I like to use recently is something I, I've been um, kind of working in my own practice with some cyclists. So I'm working with a professional cycling team at the moment. Um, and uh, they're, they're all heavy caffeine users. And most of their caffeine comes from know, <laughs> We know that cyclists uh, eat, drink lots of coffee. Um, and there, there was this concept of, you know, they... They know caffeine is, is eugenic and they used to take in their espressos, and a lot of the energy gels now contain caffeine. And um, I guess they're getting a little bit complacent in terms of they had a couple of bad results, and therefore they, they've not taken the caffeine. And, and we, we had a little talk about how strategically how to use caffeine, particularly around time trials and just before time trials. So one of the things that I thought that could be a bit different that they hadn't tried was caffeinated gum because um, you know, caffeinated gum's been around uh, for quite a while. Many people haven't really um, looked into it in much detail, but there's a couple of studies on caffeine gum that suggest that the pharmacokinetics of caffeine gum is slightly different to when you take it in a powder or a tablet form, in that um, there's a couple of studies that have shown that when you take caffeine uh, gum five minutes beforehand, you still get some of those um, beneficial effects. So we just talked about the effects of caffeine, we talked about the pharmacokinetics of the absorption, we talked about how much you needed to take, how long before the event, how it actually worked, and why it was important, and lo and behold, you know, you you then give them this two or three sticks of gum, so you're looking at that sort of 300 milligrams, which is your, I think it was just over 3 milligrams per kilogram, which we know that from the evidence is effective. And uh, two out of the four guys ended up um, getting a podium, you know, podium place out of the, I think it was 100 riders in that particular race. So it's spending time with the athlete, talking to them about that particular intervention. So the package there was that, you know, we know that you've been taking caffeine and you probably got bored of your gels and your espressos, and you know, the the change the strategy. Let's have a look at a different mode of delivery. Let's, but let's not forget that the active ingredient is still effective and I guess the way I tried to sell it was that the absorption was slightly different, it was quicker and you had to take it five to ten minutes beforehand and and I got a re- really good buy-in there and then on the back of the results it's been it's been great. So that's just one example of, uh, of it. Uh, another example is, let's talk about, I don't know, beetroot juice for example. We know that over the last sort of four or five years There's been an emergence of of papers on beetroot juice and how beetroot juice is, um, particularly around endurance performance. But when we break down the the papers, there's very few that show that beetroot juice enhances performance in the elite athlete. Most of them show that they enhance performance in the untrained or recreational or kind of semi-elite type athlete. So, you have to be really careful in, in terms of of how you communicate that with the athletes, and you might want to focus on the five or six papers that have shown the benefit rather than focusing on the three or four that haven't shown the benefit and At the end of the day, as scientists we're more interested in why something works as well as whether it works so for me, I want to know why a particular product works, so I can explain the rationale for why it's important so I think sometimes we don't spend enough time with the with the group saying look it works because it you know it has this vasodilatory effect it reduces the oxygen cost of exercise and you can get the same given power output and then you show them some data you show them some stats and this is the active mode of delivery and and it's basically translating that scientific knowledge in an easy user friendly way so that they understand what it is how it works why it's important and then you package it up in a way saying right here's your you know, particular strategy, you're gonna take two shots three days before, you're gonna take two shots two days before, and then an hour and a half beforehand you're gonna take two shots and this is why. And it's fascinating how they buy into that. Um now every group is different, so when you're working in a professional football club, you might have to use a different approach because the environment's different, you've got different characteristics within the dressing room, but when you're working with triathletes or cyclists or uh, you know, strength and power type athletes, weightlifters, or whatever, then you might use a different approach. So I think you've got to be a bit of a chameleon in how you communicate and operate with your client group, which I think is quite an important skill as well.
0: Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah. I think our ability to be creative is what differentiates possibly, um, you know, maybe the, the, the scientist from the sort of practitioner. And I, I don't mean that. Um, Totally as it sounds, because of course scientists are very creative people, of course, So, I you know no offense to my friends there, but you do need to be creative because you 've got factors like like I like or i don 't like like I, I I like with football players, you know simply whether it 's in a screw top bottle or whether you have to peel off a lid what you know whether it 's pink labeling or black labeling I mean these things all have a factor all the way down to what it tastes like, so it doesn't matter it doesn 't matter how amazing. The active ingredient is, but everyone's going to have individual factors that will influence, you know, their behavior and their abilities and so on, which, you know, which is additive in itself um, to this placebo effect. Um, And I'm sure there's stuff that's deep into one's psyche. You know, if you if you like the taste of something, it's going to be more effective, um, even if it's with the same, you know active ingredients so there's a lot to that and of course we vary so much the you know inter individual variability crops up a lot in this podcast but yeah i mean we you know we like different things we smell different things we see different things and of course we understand different things and I, and i guess what what you say to one person is understood one way and what you say to another person is also understood another way so i mean there there's a whole bowl of spaghetti when it comes yep. to this this topic uh you know and i i mean i guess the you know doing studies on placebo effect must in itself be uh an interesting one so you know we're sort of running out of time here uh i sort of wanted to wrap this up really um i mean you're a you know you're both a a lecturer and a a researcher and 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 a practitioner i mean where do you see the future for all this um you know what's the context for placebos in sports science research
1: i think for me that i've got a list of things here that i kind of i made a note of that i think are important that the the take-home messages from from this and i think the first thing is instead of telling the athlete to just take this drink or take this pill that you know is as a placebo or you know it works give them something that actually works it's evidence-based but sell it hard and package it well so you'll get that ergogenic effect, um, and like I said earlier, you know, don't, don't just say it may work for you; it may not work for you. Because you know, make sure that you you sell it, um, and and rather than saying it may not work, just say, well, this has been found to be quite useful, and you know, it's had these successful outcomes, and therefore we think you know it might it might be effective for for you. Um, don't make up lies. I think that's really, really important take-home message is that you don't make up any lies and, you know, you always use stuff that we know is effective but, like I said, just dress it up in the right way. Don't don't be making up any lies and you've always got to protect the the actual client because um, there's a difference between manipulating the intervention, which is what we're talking about, rather than just plain lying to to, to them. So I think I think that's really, really important. Um, and I think it's it's very much about the brain, isn't it? So we're talking here about sort of body brain kind of relationships and you can never forget that and and that's why i think um if you change the expectation then i think you can alter the the reality so um i think what we're talking about here is placebo conditioning uh and it's really important that we um you know that that, that we that we consider that um and coaches do this all the time you know so I'll give you an example of, you know, you might manipulate the amount of weight an athlete's lifting, and the coach might say, oh yeah, I'll put an extra five kilos on here, or on the track, I've seen coaches say, yeah, you're two seconds faster, when you know they've got two or three reps to go, and again, and from a practitioner perspective, I think that's how we can really manipulate something that we know is effective, um, rather than playing line, so it is fascinating, but I think you've got to be careful, and I think the key thing here is you've got to be strategic in how you use that um belief effect of, of the placebo
0: excellent excellent well i you know i think we'll be back at some point on this topic i i suspect that there's going to be more out there i, I know there's a convergence of sort of physiological scientists and uh psychologists and so on that are really starting to get into this particularly as it relates to performance because there is obviously stuff on this in the more medical realms and of course it's in the background in marketing science and various other things and like you say one sad side to this of course is that it is manipulated um in the wrong way by the wrong people which you know to use a highly scientific term is bullshit so there's a lot of bullshit and pseudoscience and what they call bro science and all that stuff which may or may not play into this topic but it is something that we need to be aware of and we you know we can power we can we we can unleash the power um of the placebo and use it to our advantage if we know what we're doing i love that idea of placebo conditioning um um I, I think uh, that in itself warrants uh, trademarking, Mayor. So, yeah. so um, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll have to get that into the patent office as fast as we can. So, look, uh, we're out of time. Um, I'd like to thank you very much for your time and Pleasure. bringing to us this this topic that I feel or have felt needed discussing. And ever since I heard you lecture about it, it's just been on my mind, and I was very excited about this so I hope the listeners um, agree with me that that was fascinating and um, I know that um, up at Sheffield Hallam you're involved in um, a number of educational products you have a a graduate program don't you that you're involved in
1: yeah yeah we um, we offer a range of different kind of programs so um, we've just uh, got a new uh, MSc program in, in sport and exercise science so you know anyone to to look you know looking into that, that they can can come and speak to us about various avenues. But we also offer, um, you know, various um, doctorate level programs here as well. So, uh, you know, come and have a look at our website and, uh, you know, come and have a look at some of our courses because, you know, we do have a track record of um, sports science graduates who have now gone on and are working in uh, in elite sports. So come and have a chat to us.
0: Yes, yes. And actually that's a good point that, you know, there's a lot of people – learning stuff learn a lot of theory but they don't they don't necessarily get taught how to apply it into practice which of course is the reason for things like this podcast and and of course the the program I run which is the ISSN diploma um postgraduate program that that you have done a few lectures for and uh, certainly will be getting you back which also will be a master's degree I can't say where yet because I'm not quite at that point to announce it but you know learning from guys like you um I hope people also want to learn from me and all of the fantastic uh, experts that we've had on the po- podcast so far. And there's many more great people. And, um, and and if you're OK with this, I'd love to get you back on again, because there's other topics that um, that I know that, that you can help um, contribute to our, our knowledge on, particularly in applied sports nutrition. So that, that would be great. But I must say farewell to you, Maya. So thank you very much. For your time, it's been um, absolutely uh, fantastic. Uh, so, that concludes the end of um, episode 21 of the Guru Performance We Do Science podcast. If you want to learn more um, about what we're doing, uh, about the podcast, and so on, just go to guruperformance.com, where you can also learn more about the ISSN uh, diploma, uh, which is also at ISSNdiploma.com. And I look forward to bringing podcast number 22 to you very soon. I am, of course, Laurel Bannock and uh, look forward to talking to you all soon.